Well, I am continually uh, <clears throat> humbled uh, by the honor and the privilege of getting to do this week after week. Um, I'm kind of amazed that God allows me to do this uh, for a living. Uh, I really love, uh, love what I do. And it's fitting to be struck by that, as I was struck by that this week. It's fitting because we are beginning a series on the shepherd elder. And uh, we're doing that because we hope to go through a process of, of nominating and electing additional elders uh, to all souls. And uh, so we're going to look at, through the scripture, we're going to look at the, the biblical teaching on the, the role of elder. And uh, we're going to have at least four uh, sermons uh, through this series. We're going to talk about the shepherd's role today. Uh, we're going to talk about the shepherd's qualifications uh, maybe part one and part two. Uh, we're going to talk about the shepherd's authority and then the shepherd's partner. Uh, finally, we're going to talk about the role of the deacon in the church. So we're going to talk about the, the shepherd's role, qualifications, authority, and partner. And uh, there, are, there really are dozens of passages that we could look at <clears throat> when we think about the role of the elder in the church. Each week, we're, just going, to, we're going to pick a passage which highlights one of those three things, and, uh, of course, we'll kind of touch on all three each week because they're obviously related, the role and the authority and the qualifications of the elder. But we're going to try to focus uh, as our text allows. Uh, this week, we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And uh, let me say, as you're turning there, let me say, um, if you have questions uh, about the role of the elder or things come up as you're listening to the sermon or there are uh, things you don't understand, please ask me. Uh, come up to me afterwards, talk to me about it. I'd really love for us to sort of be on the same page as we think about the role of elders and as we move into this time of, of nominating and, and training and, and electing additional elders to our church. All right, let's, let's pray together before we dive in. <clears throat> our Father, we, <clears throat> we do pray that you would come and that you would be with us, that you would open our eyes and our minds to understand this role, um, why you have placed it in your church. And uh, we pray that, that, that you would lead us as we look at your scriptures, um, that we would understand um, the role of the shepherd as they are under the chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus. Um, guide us now. Uh, give me wisdom as I speak. Give us all ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First <clears throat> Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, we are about to embark on, uh, enter into the exciting world of church government. Now, before you roll your eyes and groan, uh, I'm actually not joking. I really love this stuff. Uh, 
But there are some who think that this is just a waste of time. And I, I want to answer two kind of common objections before we even start. Uh, the first objection uh, to, to studying church government and, and the role of the elder or deacon, those kinds of things. The first objection is that, well, the Bible doesn't really have that much to say about church government after all. Um, every group of Christians can pretty much govern however they see fit. Church government is just not important. Um, people can structure the church however they think best. It's kind of the pragmatist approach right, to, to uh, doing church. The Bible may give kind of a broad sketch of things, but it doesn't give detailed instructions. And uh, it says a few things, but most of it's just left up to us. And it's true that there are some things that are left up to our discretion uh, in the church, uh, maybe many things. But as you read the scriptures, as you read both the Old and the New Testament, what you find is that there are dozens of passages which spell out how Jesus wants his church to be organized. And so the, the problem is not finding passages. The, the problem is narrowing down which ones to look at over four weeks. And so to those who say, well, the Bible really doesn't have that much to say, I would say, keep reading your Bible and stick around. Uh, we're, of course, we're only going to touch on one aspect of church government, which is the role of elder. But, but stick around and, and hopefully that will at least show you that there's a lot to be said in the scriptures uh, about the government of the church. Now there's a second objection, which is kind of similar, but it has a little bit of a twist, which is that church government is not central and therefore it's not important. Uh, we wanna focus on the gospel, right? And so uh, the gospel is clear, the gospel unites Christians. Uh, we don't wanna focus on secondary doctrine, which is maybe less clear and divides. This is uh, thought to be at least kind of a, a gospel-centered approach, right? The gospel is at the center, so you know, we, we should ignore or at least not, not focus on those things which are on the periphery. Uh, because really, what does church government have to do with the gospel after all? Well, uh, let me at least start to take a stab at that. There, there's uh, a lot maybe that we could say about it, but uh, let me say a couple things, uh, which I don't have time to develop. But... Uh, one is that the gospel, right, the gospel is not only about the forgiveness of sins. It is about that, uh, but uh, it's also about God restoring the order of the universe through Christ, right? God is restoring all things to himself through Christ. He is putting the world back together. And as crazy as it might sound, church government is actually a part of that restoration. I know that sounds crazy, but I think it's true. Uh, Church leaders are called shepherds. That's true in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Church leaders are called shepherds. And of course, uh, who is our shepherd? Right? The, the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus' shepherding work, his care for the sheep, it, it didn't end at the cross. Jesus continues to shepherd his flock. He cares for you as your shepherd. That's part of the gospel, right? Broadly speaking, you are a part of Jesus' sheep. The good news of the gospel in the widest sense is not just that Jesus forgives you because of the cross. That's true, right? God forgives us because of the cross. Uh, but as a result of that, you now belong to Christ. You are Christ's sheep. And he's going to care for you through this life and into the next. 
how does the good shepherd care for us? Well, at least one, at least one of those ways is by appointing human shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd, Peter says, and so we might call them under-shepherds, right? Because they're shepherding underneath the authority of the chief shepherd, Jesus. And so when we talk about the government of the church, we're talking about the way Jesus shepherds the flock through his under-shepherds. Church government is about the way Jesus cares for his people through this life and into the next. Jesus caring for his people here and now, that seems connected to the good news of Jesus as our shepherd and king. Peter said earlier in the book of 1 Peter, he said that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of souls. But he does that in this life, at least in part, through the means of under-shepherds. So we're going to look at 1 Peter. That's where we're headed. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And Peter sets the agenda for us, really, in verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter mentions three things here. He mentions the the elder. He's a fellow elder. He mentions suffering with Christ. And he mentions future glory. And those three things being an elder, suffering with Christ, and future glory, sum up what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, Essentially, the shepherd's role as an elder is the pastoral oversight of the church in the midst of suffering and in the hope of glory. It's the, the pastoral oversight of the church in the midst of suffering and in the hope of glory. We're going to break that down a little bit more. You see there aren't just three points on uh, the outline. There are five. Uh, if you, look, if, you, if you would like to follow on in the outline, it's on the back of your bulletin. There are five points there. We're going to talk about the shepherd's office of pastor elder, the shepherd's function of pastoral oversight, shepherd's temptation to self-interest, shepherd's context of suffering, and the shepherd's reward of glory. So first, the shepherd's office, pastor elder. Um, the, the first thing that needs to be said as we begin to think about the role of the elder in the church Uh, because there is confusion on this, is that elders are pastors, pastors are are shepherds, shepherds are overseers, overseers are elders. Did you catch all that? Uh, Right, there are three terms in Scripture that are used to describe church leadership. Uh, There's, uh, pardon the the Greek words, but there's the the word presbyteros, which you may find familiar. It's where we get the word Presbyterian from. Presbyteros, which means elder. Okay, Uh, there's the term episkopos, which also may be a little familiar because it's where we get the term Episcopalian from, episkopos, which is translated overseer, but it's transliterated bishop, episkopos, bishop, so episcop, bishop, okay? So episkopos, translated overseer, presbyteros, translated elder, and poimen, which is translated shepherd or pastor, now, now, my point is that Peter uses at least forms of all three of these words in verses 1 to 2. Right? Notice Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you, 
then verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Okay, so you have all three of those words in this passage. Elders are to shepherd, exercising oversight. Elders are to shepherd. They are the shepherds. Uh, they're to exercise oversight. They're the overseers. Um, so elders and pastors uh, are not distinct. Elders and bishops are not distinct. Uh, there is one office leading the church here. It's the elder who both pastors and oversees. Consistently in the uh, New Testament, these three words, we find them together, presbyteros, episkopos, employment, or elder, overseer, and shepherd, uh, both in their noun and their verb forms, they're used together. And so the elders are those who practice pastoral oversight, right, to put those three terms together. Uh, there is a second office in the church which you may be familiar with. It's the office of deacon. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul addresses the saints at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, two offices. So the saints together with the overseers and deacons. Uh, not three, not four, but two offices. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, Paul gives qualifications for the office of overseer and the office of deacon. Again, just two offices. And so the shepherd's office is pastor or elder or overseer or bishop. It's all the same thing. Now, one implication of that for us uh, is uh, from now on, I'd like you to call me Bishop Luke. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no. Uh, one implication of that for us is that there is no distinction in office between myself and David and Scott. We tend, we tend to talk about me as your pastor and David and Scott as elders, but I am just as much an elder as they are, and they are just, just as much your pastor as I am. Right? There's no biblical distinction. Between, we, there's one office. There is a biblical distinction. I'll get at it. But there's one office, the office of elder. Uh, the distinction that we make between a teaching elder and a ruling elder is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, which says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so all elders are to, to rule or to govern the church, oversee the church, and all elders teach, but my labor is in preaching and teaching. So the, the, this is the biblical distinction between David and Scott and I. It's a matter of emphasis and time. Right? It's not a matter of office or role. And so the shepherd's office is pastor, elder, overseer, however you want to call it. Now let's talk about the shepherd's function. What do they actually do? Shepherd's function, pa pastoral oversight. Elders are, are not businessmen. Uh, we're not marketers or salespeople. Uh, we're not really even decision makers. Uh, there, there's a leadership aspect to the work of elder, uh, but elders don't have to make any decisions in the church. Um, sometimes pragmatically it works out that way, but that's not our job. Our role is pastoral oversight. That's what Peter says in verse 2, right? Verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Right? To shepherd, to shepherd is to pastor, same thing, which is to care for the flock. And Peter further explains that by saying exercising oversight, hence this term that I keep using, pastoral oversight. What does that mean? 
Well, again, elders are, are not business administrators or financial managers or career counselors, or, but, but soul shepherds. Soul shepherds. Pastoral oversight is about the care of souls. It might involve all kinds of things, and does involve all kinds of things, that affect or flow out of the spiritual life of God's people. But fundamentally, it's about the care of souls, first and foremost. Uh, there's a pastor and professor uh, named Tim Whitmer who breaks this shepherding role down into four parts, knowing the sheep, feeding the sheep, leading the sheep, and protecting the sheep. Know, feed, lead, protect. Uh, and the only thing I might add is equip, equipping the sheep, which may fit under feeding or leading, but, but it, I think it deserves its own uh, point. And so to exercise pastoral oversight, the shepherd must know know the sheep. Proverbs 27 verse 23 says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Right? If that's true of a, a normal shepherd, a literal shepherd, how much more is it true of a figurative shepherd in the church? It's the bad shepherd who doesn't know his sheep. John 10 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. How does an elder get to know his sheep? Well, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, again, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Right? Not the flock that is distant from you. Uh, you're not shepherding via video link. Right? It's, it's people in your midst. The elder must spend time with the sheep to know them, to know their joys, to know their trials, to know their temptations and their hopes. Now, each elder can't know every sheep, uh, and not every elder is going to know the sheep that he knows the same way, to the same degree. Uh, the work of elder is a team work, though, and so collectively, the goal is that we, on some level, need to know you. And only once the shepherd knows his sheep can he then feed them. Uh, th this is the commission that Jesus gives to Peter. You remember, in the end of uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, feed my lambs. In fact, three times he says it to Peter. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And this is, this is not only Peter's commission, it's really the essence of the shepherd's work. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to feed the sheep? Well, simply put, right, to feed them is to feed them on God's word, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so all elders... Paul says elsewhere in 1 Timothy, Paul says, all elders must be apt to teach. Uh, that doesn't mean that they must be Billy Graham or Tim Keller, uh, but it does mean they have to have some ability to faithfully teach Scripture. Paul says to Titus in Titus 1.9, the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So the elder's role is, is teaching, teaching the Scripture. And the emphasis, right, is on faithfulness to what the Scripture says, uh, not, not wowing people with their teaching ability, but being faithful to what the Bible teaches. Elders, then, all elders are, are ministers uh, in the sense that they administer something. Uh, like a mother administers medicine to her sick child, so elders administer God's word to the souls of their sheep. So elders must know the sheep on some level. Uh, elders must feed the sheep on God's word. Elders lead the sheep. 
Elders give guidance to the church as a whole. Elders help guide individuals through questions they have or, or the trials of life. Um, elders, of course, we're not to, to lead wherever we want to go. That's not the point. Uh, again, this comes back to Scripture. Our leading is helping the church and individuals work out Scripture's guidance for our particular situation. It's pointing people back to the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about this? Uh, there's a famous proverb uh, about leadership in the church. It's often quoted, maybe misquoted, uh, but often quoted, uh, Proverbs 29:18, which says, "Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law." When people have no guidance, the point of the proverb is, when people have no guidance, chaos ensues. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Again, God's word speaks into life to give us guidance in the midst of chaos. And the shepherd's role is to teach God's word, to give that guidance from scripture. So the shepherd leads by bringing God's word to bear on the situation at hand. So the shepherd must lead the sheep. The shepherd knows, feeds, and leads the sheep. And I would add here to Whitmer's paradigm, equip. Equip The shepherd must equip the sheep. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, uh, maybe a familiar passage, says God, uh, quote, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or shepherds hyphen teachers, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Right? The shepherd teacher equips the saints for ministry. Uh, David, Scott, and I have the job of, of training or equipping you for the work of ministry. That's what Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says. Um, to Equipping you to use your gifts as God, uh, the gifts that God has given you to build up the church. How do we equip the saints? Again, it's through teaching, through pointing back to God's word. Uh, all the people Paul lists in Ephesians 4, 11, all the people who are to equip the saints are teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Uh, the elder's job then is to encourage, to equip, and to release other people to build up the church and bear witness to the world. Okay, so elders know, feed, lead, equip. I know we're going fast, but know, feed, lead, equip. Uh, finally, elders protect the sheep. Um, a shepherd protects his sheep, right, from wolves, from lions, from thieves. What are the elders to protect the sheep from? Well, uh, first and foremost, from Satan. A uh, few verses later, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Elders are to protect the sheep from Satan's lies, from Satan's temptations, from Satan's accusations. Again, we do that by teaching truth. Uh, truth that counters Satan's lies, by correcting error, by uh, rebuking those who are caught in sin, by always administering the gospel of grace, and reminding people of their standing in Christ so that we don't give in to, this, to the devil's accusations. So notice that aside from knowing the sheep, uh, all of the elders' duties that we've talked about essentially have to do with administering or applying the word. Right? To feed, to lead, to equip, to protect, all has to do with pointing people to Scripture. So the elder's role, though maybe more than teaching, uh, it, it certainly isn't less. Uh, it, it may be, there may be more that falls under this phrase pastoral oversight, uh, but there's certainly not less 
than that. So the shepherd is an elder pastor. His role is pastoral oversight of the church, which happens as a pastor gets to know his sheep and administers God's word to them. So what's next? The shepherd's temptation. The shepherd's temptation. Uh, the temptation to self-interest. Notice verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter here gives uh, elders three warnings. Uh, the essence of them is a warning against self-interest. Uh, the first is that the elders are to shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly. Why would an elder need to be compelled to shepherd? Well, maybe, maybe someone guilted them into the role of elder. They didn't really want to do it, but they felt they had to. Uh, maybe some guy's wife thought it would be a good idea, and he went along with it. Uh, but Paul is here not talking about why you ended up in that role. Uh, Paul is speaking here to elders, however they got there. And Paul is saying, look, don't, don't, don't be lazy, don't be distracted, don't be forgetful, right? You shouldn't have to be compelled by, the out, by outside force to shepherd God's flock. Freely given service is always God's desire for his people, in any circumstance, with anybody. Uh, when God tells Moses to take a collection uh, for, the, for the sanctuary, for the tabernacle, he says, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. Right? That's, that's the way God wants us to give, when our heart, as our heart, moves us. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God wants us to give, to serve, to love from our hearts. Now, some days our hearts aren't there. We know the right thing to do, but we have absolutely zero desire to do it. Um, that doesn't mean that we just give in or give up. Uh, it means we pray. We ask God to renew our hearts, right? We move forward praying that God would bring our hearts along. The second warning that Paul, or Peter, sorry, gives is that uh, elders are to shepherd not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, already in Paul's day, it seems clear uh, that in Peter's day, uh, that some elders at least got paid. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 4 to 12 says those who uh, labor in the work of the gospel ought to make a living through that work. A workman deserves his wages, right? That's quoted both by Jesus and by Paul. Uh, but there are some who teach just for the money. Uh, maybe they're looking for a big salary. Uh, maybe they have their hand in the collection plate. Whatever the case uh, there is always a temptation to mishandle funds for our own gain, to work for the paycheck. But Paul, uh, Peter says, don't shepherd for shameful gain, but eagerly, eagerly desiring to see the flock built up, wanting to care for souls, desiring the good of the church. That is to be our motivation, not selfish gain, but the good of God's people. Then he gives this third warning in verse 3. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
there's this continual temptation in leadership to misuse authority. Some people go into leadership positions seeking money. Some people go in seeking power. Uh, As someone has pointed out, though, shepherds, shepherds didn't drive their sheep from behind, but they walked in front of them and called them to follow. And this shapes what we said earlier about teaching, right? The, The shepherd's primary role is teaching scripture, but the shepherd must model what he teaches. He must be an example to the flock. He must not demand with an iron fist. He models, again, leading out in front. We'll talk more about that, actually, when we talk about the authority of the shepherd later. Uh, But it's important to say now, this doesn't mean that a shepherd must be perfect. To the contrary, he must model repentance and faith and new obedience, not perfection. Right? If, if I or David or Scott or any elder ever gives the impression of perfection, uh, one, you know it's a lie, uh, but two, it's also this impossible standard that will only frustrate God's people. If they're always thinking, oh, I've got to live up to that. Uh, again, though, this means if the elders are to model not perfection but repentance, uh, again, this means that elders must be accessible. Uh, Not only must we know the sheep, but we must be known by the sheep. How can I be an example to the flock if you don't see my life? If you don't see my failures, I cannot uh, be an example of repentance and faith. And so an elder must be a willing and eager example to the flock. Now, if you're beginning to feel overwhelmed uh, by the role of elder, you're not alone. And it only gets worse uh, before it gets better. The shepherd is a pastor elder who has pastoral oversight of the church, uh, who must be a willing and eager example to the flock. And then uh, let's look at the next point, the shepherd's context, which is suffering. You know, why does Peter bring up the elder at this point in the letter? The letter of 1 Peter is really all about suffering. It's about other things, but one of the themes throughout the letter is suffering of God's people. I mean, back up just a few verses into chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Or uh, go forward, move ahead to chapter 5, verse 9 where uh, Peter says, resist the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Or the verse immediately before our text, chapter 4, verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So on the one hand, suffering is just the the context of the, the shepherding role because suffering is simply a part of life in a fallen world. And yet there's more to it than that, I think. Uh, First, often, it's true that that when people suffer is when they most need pastoral care. And it's true that even our successes often tempt us as much as our trials, uh, though we don't always think about that. But it's obvious, right, that in our trials, in the trials of life, we need to be pointed back to Jesus. We need to be reminded of God's love for us. Peter brings the elders up now uh, is to say that the, the, the way Jesus has appointed for the church to make it through trials is to be guided by faithful shepherds. 
Again, you can kind of think back to Psalm 23, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It goes on to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. How do we know God is with us as our shepherd in the valley? Well, because he's given other Christians to be there with us, and particularly other shepherds, under shepherds, to demonstrate his love and care in the midst of our struggles. Second, it's not only the suffering of the, the sheep, but the suffering of the shepherd that provides the context for shepherding work. Uh, Peter says in 5.1 that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And it's, it's possible that he means there, that, that phrase could be taken a couple different ways, it's possible that he means that he witnesses to Christ's suffering through his own suffering. A witness, he's bearing witness to the sufferings of Christ through his own trials. Of course, Paul talks about that elsewhere. Uh, he associates suffering and weakness with the Christian ministry again and again. You read through Paul. Uh, he says in one point, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Right? We, are, we are suffering so that people might see the life of Jesus in us. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Why does Paul have to say that? Well, because being a leader of a despised religious group in the first century Roman world probably wasn't easy. It had its challenges, both from within and from without. Persecutions from without, fighting within. Uh, when Paul lists his trials in 2 Corinthians, he adds, and apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? And so Paul is burdened uh, with uh, the condition, the state of his churches. And so church leadership has its challenges the context of the shepherd's work is suffering, the suffering of the sheep, the suffering of the shepherd, the challenges of leadership in the church. You might begin to wonder, though, okay, with this lady with weighty list of responsibilities uh, and the certainty of greater difficulty in life, what sane person would volunteer for such an office? The answer is no one. But God does call some people to this office. And uh, we'll look at one last point, which is the shepherd's reward. Peter says in chapter 5, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here is the shepherd's hope, the shepherd's reward, right? That Jesus, the chief shepherd, will return. That when he does... Uh, he will take stock of how his under-shepherds cared for the church and that those who shepherded faithfully will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, unfading crown, that phrase, is, is in comparison to the laurel wreath that was given to victors of military and athletic competitions in that day. So there was a crown placed on people's head that literally faded, withered, and decomposed. This crown... The crown that Peter says uh, elders will receive is not a crown of laurel, leaves, or silver, or gold, uh, but it's a crown of glory. Now, what does that mean, crown of glory? The victor's crown was a symbol of the acknowledgement of the merits of the athlete or the warrior. 
the crown acknowledged uh, something that they had accomplished. Glory is about reputation. It's about fame. What is the glory that we will receive at Jesus' return? It's the acknowledgement of our good shepherd. Right? It's that phrase that I keep coming back to in, in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 25, where uh, the master will say to his servant, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What is the crown of glory for which we long? It's the acknowledgement and the approval and the joy of our God. Do any of us deserve that acknowledgement and joy of our God? Of course not. Right? Everything we have done in this life is corrupted by our sin. And yet, our Father is pleased to accept our good works in Christ. Uh, as as our, our confession puts it, as our Father looks upon us, quote, in His Son, He is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. And what this means uh, for us and for this text is though, though I will fail you often, uh, and though whatever elders you vote in will fail you often, God in His mercy and grace rewards us as we serve Him in sincerity despite our many weaknesses and imperfections. But notice the order. First, we shepherd in the context of suffering, and then we receive the Father's well-done, good, and faithful servant. The elders are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, right? The cross of death comes before the crown of glory. And of course, that's no different for every Christian, is it? In a sense, this is no different from, from any work that any of us do as Christians. We, we do all our work unto Jesus, knowing that from Jesus we will receive our reward. And yet some men are called to the work of elder, to serve Jesus in this capacity of shepherding the flock through pastoral oversight, through getting to know and feed and lead and equip and protect the sheep. And as we move forward uh, in this process as a church, uh, let me ask for prayer, uh, probably lots of things to pray for. Uh, let me ask for three things in particular. One, pray for your elders. Uh, pray for David and Scott and I. Um, the, the role of shepherd is difficult in itself at times, and it does involve many temptations and trials, according to Scripture. And even though in some ways uh, shepherding you guys has, has been easy, I think it's fair to say, uh, that doesn't mean it always will be. Right? Things, things get hard at times. There are periods of difficulty. And uh, we, we can know that those will surely come at some point. And I'd like your prayers ahead of time so that when they happen, uh, we're ready. So pray for us. Pray for David and Scott and I and whatever other elders uh, join us. Two, pray that God would guide us as a church to the right men. Uh, pray that God would guide you as you have opportunity to nominate men for this work. Uh, remember, of course, you're not looking to find uh, businessmen or administrators, right, though those gifts might be useful. Uh, not men with college degrees necessarily or the right portfolio, uh, but men who have a genuine care for the people around them, who are ready to, to teach, not spectacularly, but faithfully, who avoid self-interest, Right? who aren't seeking money or power or fame, but who care for the needs of others. Men who cling to Jesus in suffering 
and have set their hope on Jesus' return. Men who long to hear the voice of God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Not men who model perfection, but men who model repentance. And that means uh, also you should be praying and asking God if, if you might be one of those men. Third, pray that Jesus would shepherd us. Pray that Jesus would shepherd us. Ultimately, in the process of seeking uh, shepherds to oversee Christ's church, uh, we entrust ourselves to Jesus, the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. And so we look for shepherds uh, looking to Jesus, knowing that he will care for us throughout our time uh, of suffering and trial and on into glory. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would shepherd us, that you would shepherd us as your flock. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give those of us who are under shepherds, give us wisdom, uh, give us guidance, uh, give us strength, give us faithfulness, protect us from the evil one, protect us from his temptations and his lies, protect us from his accusations, help us to cling to the cross and cling to the gospel that we would serve you faithfully as we shepherd the flock that you have entrusted to our care. And Jesus, care for our sheep, care for uh, your people, provide for them and watch over them and protect them, and feed them and lead them. We pray that you will be glorified as you do these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.